Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Now you're welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. I'm Enda Call, and I'm joined as usual by Alan Morrison and Jico James. Alan, decent win for Scotland yesterday? Yeah, very good. And, you know... A good performance, as I say, more importantly, uh, really. Um, you know, it, it was a very odd game. It was a great game of football, actually, uh, and a very odd game as well, because actually Scotland, in the first early parts of the game, you know, they got an early goal and that gave them a bit of confidence and a bit of, um, it gave them a platform really to build on. But they, the funny thing was that as when the game was like a sort of structured, quite a structured game of football, Scotland looked by far the better team. They were happy for Spain to, to get the ball and then they broke at pace and with purpose. It was when, sort of midway through the first half, Spain made the game an absolute mess. But they started throwing themselves all over the pitch, play acting, trying to win penalties from every time the ball went in the box. And they actually Spain actually turned it into like a League Two slugfest and it broke all the structure of the game. And that's the only bit of the game that we looked... In danger, or, or, or you know, that's when they had their best moments. And funnily enough, their best moments came from crosses into the box. <laughs> so it was just the most bizarre game. And um, as I say, and when it, when it settled down again in the second half, uh, and again we could sort of play them on the counter attack. You know, we, we looked the more dangerous team. So mm. it, was, it was just bizarre in that respect. Um, and you know, it was a strange Spain team. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know in detail what they're going through at the moment, but. You know, obviously they've come from a place where they'll have had seven or eight world-class players in that team, uh, where you know the whole half the team is 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 the best players from Barcelona and Real Madrid, to 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 a team now where they're giving debuts to thirty-plus-year-olds off the bench and even playing them, you know, from the start is really really weird. And I I honestly hadn't heard of at least half the team, if I'm being honest. So it's clearly not a vintage Spain, but obviously, the, you know, the technical ability was there. Um, but, you know, we look like a coherent team with a good plan. And, and, and you know, we don't have any world-class players, but we've got enough international quality players like Tierney, Robertson, you know, McGregor, McTominay, uh, you know, to, to, to have a core there that is at least going to be in a, in a World Cup or European qualifying group is going to be you know competitive against all, all the teams from all the different pots sort of thing so that's at least an improvement for Scotland going forward and uh, yeah so it was great, a great night and a great and a well deserved win yeah I'm not taking away from the win at all because God knows I'd bite <laughs> but... your hand off for a win against Spain but I, I think even calling that Spain's 
beat him might be a little bit kind. I don't know. I mean, I know. again, you can only beat what's in front of you, and, and certainly Ireland probably would have made a, a hems or a struggle of that, uh, even if that was the Spain team that they came up against. So, uh, well done to Scotland and to everyone involved in that, and I hope you you all enjoyed that because I'm not going to take away. God knows uh, Ireland have made so- Scotland suffer enough over the last <laughs> 10, 15 years that uh, I'm not going to take away from when you are doing quite well. And look, we have no club games to look at this week, so we asked in advance of this podcast for uh, some questions on Twitter, and loads of people have sent them in, so we're going to get to them all throughout the show. We'll try to get to as many as possible, but obviously there's loads to get through, so it'll be hard to get to them all, but we will try. And if you're watching on YouTube, do get your comments in there as well, and we'll try fit them all in before the end of the show. I'm going to start with one that came in from a couple of different people uh, one of them is from Celtic Thoughts on Twitter who asks about the goalkeeping situation and Joe Hart. So his question is, do we technically need a better goalkeeper to progress to the next level in Europe next year or would it just be an ideal thing? And how likely is it that we are going to sign one this summer uh, or do we think we're going to have another season of Joe uh, next season? So, James, I'll let you feel that one first. I think it is um, for us to progress in, uh, I think, to the, the, the point of ambition that we're hoping for. I think we need an upgrade, um, particularly, and this probably might be uh, counterintuitive, <laughs> what people might expect me to say, particularly in the shot-stopping um, situation, meaning that if you look at, uh, and I actually have it up in front of me, so he's approaching 70 games of league data, and he's basically stopping, or he has stopped, um, about what um, StatsBomb's model would predict he would. And, and the reason why, again, I stress StatsBomb, is they're now, they've redone all their data uh, accounting for velocity of the shot as well, which I think is um, hugely important for this kind of metric. Um, so, and that's that's above and beyond issues with him playing out from the back, from sweeping, coming for crosses, where I think he also grades pretty poorly, or at least below average. Um, so I think he's, you know, he served the the purpose, the role that um, of stabilizing things as he came in. But I, and, and again, it's small sample sizes, but when we've gone up against better teams with better finishers, uh, his shot stopping data has not held up. And it, again, that, that logically fits if you're, if you're going to kind of be a, an average keeper at a Scottish premiership level, you know, you would think that that level of performance would not hold up going up against um, champions league level finishers and forwards. So, um, you know, if if we can get a, a a good shot stopping keeper um, that also is better in those other areas, then, you know, all, all the better. But I think, as, as Hart has shown, it's not really all that relevant domestically, given how dominant we are. Um, so it really does come down to, you know, how we do in, in, in Europe at that position. And, you know, when you get to that level, the two, and we're going to be an underdog against pot two and one teams for the most part, and, and potentially severe underdogs, um, it's taking your chances, i.e., you know, variance, but also uh, talented finishers and a keeper that might be able to win you a game or two like Forster showed over the years. Um, 
against a better a better team or a better uh, opponent. So I don't think that's Hart. I don't think he's displayed that. Even if you go back to his time in Burnley and you know, kind of his post Man City uh, period um, in Italy, he just hasn't shown that. Um, so I think at his age now, it would be unreasonable to expect that. So yeah, I, I actually think that's for for Europe along with a, a midfielder a box-to-box midfielder, as I've been saying forever now. I think those are the two most important um, upgrades that we could make. Alan, it's it's sort of a weird one when it comes to Celtic in what we want domestically versus in Europe because the job changes so dramatically when you're talking about what is required of a goalkeeper in those two scenarios. In the league, you need someone who's going to be able to uh, apply attacks and start attacks from the back and be good on the ball and have good distribution but in Europe that's less important and what's more important is the shot stopping ability because you come up against a higher a higher variety and a higher amount of shots throughout the Champions League period against these better sides so where, where where's the balance there for Joe Hart and is there enough there for another year or do you think it's an upgrade that we need yeah, I think it's, it's. I mean, it's the debate that needs to be had. So I think you're probably at that point where um, there's sufficient, you know, doubt, as James has said. Because I mean, if you if you take off the table that it's Joe Hart, right? Just forget if you if you if you were just to present his data and almost put a, you know a hood over his head and you know who is this player sort of thing and say this is this is a Celtic goalkeeper, you would you would conclude that he's a competent goalkeeper, but really no more. Now, obviously, you know, back on the table comes the fact it's Joe Hart, you know, global, known sort of superstar footballer, uh, you know, England, 50-odd caps, etc., and clearly a good person to have around the club. Um, one one couple of things, a couple of other bits of, sort of, sort of think through what the right answer is, another couple of bits of context that people may find interesting. One is that in, as, as far as the goalkeeping situation in general uh, is concerned, We've really got um, sort of three goalkeepers that are 30 plus. And you sort of think, well, you know, our bit, yeah, to, to what extent do Bain and Seagrass want to hang around not playing that age if they're going to be a backup to another aging sort of 30 plus goalkeeper? Question, don't know. The two goalkeepers that are in theory in sort of 24, 29 peak are Barkas and Hazard. And I, I don't see a future Celtic for either of them. And then you're into the into the kids. So I think there's a, a question mark about Celtic's goalkeeping in general, and and, and it, it it could be that actually the time is right to bring in somebody who's probably nearer their peak, uh, younger than Hart is what I mean, uh, maybe you know sort of late twenties type of peak goalkeeper who's more of the profile that Celtic need. Um, and you raise an interesting point about. Um, you know, is it more shot stop, shot stopping that's needed? Because it's an interesting philosophical point. If you think about the Scottish Premier League and you think about the fact that on average, Joe Hart may make less than two saves a game uh, and yet will have the ball at his feet 30 times. What is actually important for that goalkeeper? What is the most important skill set for that goalkeeper to have? But then you've got to flip it to Europe to say, you know, you're looking for Celtic to progress, to have a goalkeeper that's got a good saves above average. So what I mean by that is they face X shots with a certain XG, but they actually save more than you'd expect on that basis. That, and I think that's the balance that Celtic have to 
have to achieve. But, they, you know, they also need somebody who's going to be good with their feet. So I think the time is right for sure. The other big thing that I'd throw into the mix is that if you look at Celtic's defence, so the people in, directly in front of Hart, Celtic have actually got a very young defence. And so the, the, the need to have somebody a little bit more experienced and mature and seasoned behind them is, is you know, would be considered sort of, you know, safe, uh, both from a performance perspective, but also from a, a sort of psychological perspective, don't, doesn't get flustered during games, can help marshal the team in times of stress, then, you know, it, it does help out in that regard. Because, as I say, it's a very young defence. We don't have anyone in defence. Uh, Starfelt is the only one that's really a regular and in that sort of peak bracket, you know, 27 years old sort of thing. The rest of them are all relatively young for defenders. So I don't think I would be discarding him, but I think I'd be looking to see what do I want to do with Bain and Segrist? Are they really adding value to the squad or do I want to bring in someone to really push your heart with a view to them being a genuine number one that is truly aligned to the way that we want to play? That's... Now, is the, 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 another thing that maybe James and I might disagree slightly on is is that the most important thing for Celtic to solve for this summer? It's maybe not my priority, but it's, it, it would be on the list. But, you know, I think there's going to be that many comings and goings. There'll probably be room <laughs> to try and sort of sort that problem out as well. Yeah. One player that I do think would be absolutely perfect for this situation and would solve all the issues, has the, good, has the right profile, as good as fate has shown that he's been good under pressure as well, is Cuevin Kelleher, who's the current backup to Alison Becker at Liverpool. He's 23 years old. He's leaving the club at the end of the season. That's almost confirmed. The only issue is I feel like he might be out of the grasp of Celtic's reach in terms of wages. So according to what the date, what is available, he's apparently on £10,000 a week. That's going to increase probably seven, eightfold with his move because his next move is going to be a first team starting place. And if it's anything like Gavin Bazunu, who's the, also an Irish goalkeeper, his move after um, a loan spell with Rotherham after Man City was to Southampton and being their first team goalkeeper. So it's not um, unfathomable that Kevin Kelleher could go into a first team Premier League side at this point in time. So I think he'd be ideal. I don't think Celtic can afford him, which is probably the unfortunate side of this. And that's probably the key issue in all of this is that okay what can Celtic afford realistically wage wise because um, as far as I know Cal McGregor is probably Celtic's highest paid player on about 45k a week well, I'm not that's... sure it'll be that not sure be that much probably near 40 if not slightly below I would be my yeah. guess so we're really looking we're in a small market there if we're not getting someone who's not from a you know, an unknown market that we don't know about just yet. We're looking at someone like Joe Hart, in my opinion, who is at the tail end of their career and probably looking for one last club for the next three years. Yeah, I mean, I would still, as I say, all I can say is the profile I would go for, which would be that sort of more peak age, just under 30. How realistic that is. Listen, there's, there's many, many footballers in the, on the, in the globe, and goalkeepers especially, there's only one that's generally playing at any one time. So it's, it should be a market that you can more easily find talent because, you know, either goalkeepers generally, unless unless they're in a strange situation like a certain club who keeps rotating them for, for reasons that you, you won't be allowed to, to know about, um, hint, 
um, anyway, the, you, there'll be goalkeepers around who are not playing essentially. So uh, mm. you know, it should it shouldn't be it should be so. But Zunu, by the way, just uh, just a little snippet because I saw this on Twitter from one of the analysts today. Of the top five leagues in Europe, he's the worst goalkeeper in, the, in uh, all the top fives in terms of shots, uh, you know, goals conceded over average by by, and by push shot yeah. XG. We 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 know you have to quantify that with saying he's also faced the most amount of shots on. So no, no, it's, it's an average. It's an average ender. It's an average. So yeah, it's an average. <laughs> yeah, be, be kind. Be kind. But I I think I don't think there's a right, you know, quote unquote, right answer for this. But I I, I take all of Alan's points and I think they're legitimate and I don't disagree with any of them actually. I think it's an interesting question. How do you weight? Things like leadership, given the back line and the age profile, as Alan says, with, um, you know, the financial realities of what tier of talent are you going to get? And at that age bracket, you're talking, they're probably already what they're going to be. You know, there's not going to be any development at age 28, 29. They might be peak, but, you know, um, so I, I think it, it's uh, then the flip side of that is you look a little younger keepers you know maybe 22 23 24 where they're still in that development arc um but they might have that upside that you know that flash of athleticism that allows them to be a better shot stopper and grow into it um so i i, I don't know i i i think I'd, I'd have to see who they end up going with but um i i do think that that what's to alan's point the the keeper market is so inefficient right now. This is why I focus on keeper so much is because the data is so bad across the industry. Um, I think it's one of the ripest areas. Like you know, we've talked about and mentioned his name before, John Harrison, who started, uh, I think it's Go- goalkeeper XG or goalkeeper.com or something. And he's just up and he's collaborating with the SFA. I, I couldn't believe it. The SFA is actually, um, yeah, p- partnering with, uh, with with John Harrison's um, co- company. So he, he's done all this fabulous modeling on decision-making, one-on-1v1s, like a lot of great, um, uh, you know, intellectual firepower being thrown at thinking at these things and modeling them and, and questioning all these old kind of dictums about, you know, when, when how are keepers adding value, what makes them a good keeper, that kind of thing. And um, so I think this is a perfect time to have this issue. And to me, it would be a value proposition rather than the age or the profile, meaning that if you can get someone that is maybe misvalued in the marketplace that fits what you're looking for um, and, and having a more advanced analytical approach to it, I think that that would be the way to go. Um, I don't know if that's the way Celtic will go because they, they certainly didn't do that with Hart <laughs> um, and they didn't do it with Segrist. Uh, so, you know, I, I still hold out hope, but, um, I think it would be the perfect time to be addressing this position right now. Mm. I think it'll be very interesting to see what happens with it as well, because a lot of people assume Joe Hart was not Angie's choice. And he actually, he, he, he said that wasn't true. It was Joe Hart that he wanted, that he brought him in for a specific reason. And I, it, I think that is now the place that we want to see evolution in what and just doing with that position. If it continues to be Joe Hart, so be it. I don't think he's made any massive blunders. He's had a couple of saves that he maybe could have saved in the European competitions. But apart from that, it would be hard to be too harsh on him altogether. But it is sort of like this situation up front with, oh, now bringing a new sort of evolution to the forward line and 
different types of players for different types of situations. Celtic don't seem to have that with the goalkeeping situation at the minute. So it'll be interesting to see who they bring in. Um, Speaking of markets and operating in different ones, there's been a couple of questions in about the Scottish League in itself and who we would sign if we had a choice or if there was anybody in the SBFL that we would sign for Celtic um, overall in terms of positions. A lot of people looking for the midfield though. So Alan doesn't have to be a midfielder, but is there anybody that caught your eye as a potential Celtic player uh, from the SBFL? <clears throat> it sounds a bit churlish if I say no, but if I'm hesitating and thinking, it's just because I'm giving you my natural, honest <laughs> response to that question. Um, you can because... you can include players from the other side of Glasgow <laughs> right, to make okay. it a little bit more spicy. <laughs> wow, <laughs> Ryan Jack. No, I'm only <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, um, <laughs> Hall of Famer so, Alan McGregor for the gold. Yeah, new contract Alan McGregor. Mm, there's a story. Anyway, um, the they gave him a new contract. They're thinking allegedly thinking <laughs> about doing so. Because remember, Mickey, Mickey, Mickey can beat us on a budget. Remember, uh, he's a good boy, Mickey. He's, 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 he, does, oh. he does he does what he's told. He says what he's told. Wow. Um, I, the, I, I might give him a contract too, if, given who's in charge. Our field will be re-signing next. Um, as I say, the re, you know, my reaction tells you everything. I mean, I'm, I want there to be a lot of talent in the league. Uh, you know, I want to have a healthy Scotland team. Uh, you know, youth, see young players coming through. Um, you know, and, and the problem is, are you going to go from, you know, a breakout season like, for example, I'll just pick one like the lad Campbell at Hibs has had a bit of a breakout season for Hibs is, you know, but is he really going to kind of step up to play for Celtic and add a difference? You know, I don't see it. You might do. I mean, let's look at Ryan Porteous. Now I, I, you know, was very sceptical about Ryan Porteous. He's moved away from, you know, probably being a big, big fish in a, in a small pond at Hibernian to playing in the English championship at Watford. And, you know, his form there by all accounts has been excellent. And his form for Scotland has been excellent. So, Sometimes maybe, um, you know, we poo-poo players just because of who they're playing for and, you know, playing in, in teams that, as we know in Scotland, we do have a problem in terms of the style of football that coaches fall back onto uh, is, is not doesn't necessarily bring the best out of good quality players. And when you put players with better players, some of them, you know, ri- do rise up. So all that being said... I can't think of one that's obviously going to improve Celtic or that I see as being, um, you know, ready to step up to Celtic. And, and unfortunately, that would be in. I mean, I, I, I did enjoy a few, it was quite, quite a few years ago now, it must be nearly five years ago. You know, I, I highly rated John McGinn when he was at Hibs to the extent that, and you can look at my site, it's fully searchable. Did a, did a detailed scouting report on him. And the reason I did that was because he was a player that I thought looked good enough to play for Celtic. I haven't done one since. Um, so read into that, uh, probably the answer to the question. And again, that's not I'm not trying to be smart-arsed about that because I'd love there to be five, ten young Scottish players, especially that, that you know, you'd think, oh, God, I would love it if, love it if Celtic got their hands on them uh, kind of thing. But... Unfortunately, I don't see it. They may be there. As I say, Ryan Portis is a good current example of someone who could blossom in a different place. Anyone from you, James? 
Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with Alan. It's a bit of a stretch. So if I, if you put a gun cool. to my head, I mean, I'd, I'd need a more fulsome amount of, um, you know, data sample on him. But I think before he got hurt, Roos, I mean, he's a little old for me. Again, he's 31. I doubt that the un, you know, the 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 hidden gem in the world is at Aberdeen. Um, but I, I think he showed uh, before he got hurt some ability that, you know. Um, you know, it could be a flash again. I'm, 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 we're reaching here. Well, probably one of the younger players that I've been impressed with, uh, both by the eye test, but but also, um, and again, I, I don't think he reaches the level, but you know, would at least be uh, someone to keep an eye on is Levitt at Dundee United. I think he's been an interesting young player um, and performing at a pretty decent level given his age. Um, and the other one I was going to mention, well, there's two more I'll mention. One will be controversial. Uh, I agreed Porteous. I, I was a big fan of him with the caveat of between the ears. So, um, you know, may- maybe he matures into um, getting la- less in his game. And, and, if he, and if he's able to do that, I think his raw materials and, and his uh, vision and his uh, athleticism at the, at the center back position I thought he could be, you know, actually someone who could play at Celtic. Maybe not a lockdown starter, but, you know, um, I thought he'd be at least as good as Welsh, probably an upgrade uh, is how I've kind of seen him. The, the, the last one I'll throw in there will be the controversial one is that I think um, with Ange as his manager, um, I think Malik Tillman would be a, a good player in our system and that he has the size, speed, and athleticism. I don't know. Maybe he's a head case. I, I have no idea about um, what, what kind of a person is he, he is as far as a teammate, that kind of thing. But just from the raw material I've seen and what he's posted um, so far in Europe uh, on a bad Rangers team in Europe and, and playing um, in what's been a fairly volatile team as far as – you know, playing at Rangers this season overall with all the changes and everything, I, I think he would be, you know, the one player on their team that I would say, okay, like I, I, I wish we kind of had him. That would be, uh, that would be him. Um, but that's it. Liam Scales or Johnny Hayes for me, to be honest. I think <laughs> <laughs> never give up. Never give. You know what? And bless Johnny Hayes, man. I, you know, he, it's still it's, going. He's still uh, going. You know what? Yeah, he is. And um, it, it's every time I see him, I still think, man, he's fast. <laughs> mm. Like it's gotten worse what it ends up at the end of the fast part, and he's not as fast as he was. It's, yeah. But, listen, listen, it's the year 2050, and Johnny Hayes, Stevenson, and, and Hanlon of Hibs are still playing in the SPFL. <laughs> Yeah. Johnny Hayes is a bit like James McLean for me. He's just like a, a, an athletic freak. Like there's still there's still chat of uh, James or James McLean being like by far and away the fittest player in the Irish setup and in the Wigan setup as well. He's just a, a physical freak, and I, I feel I get the same vibe off Johnny Hayes that he's just one of these guys that is able to maintain an insane level of fitness, and that has probably helped him maintain a. a a position at a high enough level of football for a long, long time. Um, I mean, that's sorry, but, Andy, I mean, that, but I just want to say, so, I mean, that's that's the problem, right? Johnny Hayes is a great case study of what we're talking about here because when he went to Celtic, he was a clear standout for Aberdeen, who were at that time the second best team in the league. You know, and, and a good Aberdeen team that that a good Aberdeen 16 team yep. up until yep was really absolutely really good. It's, 
scored, 15, I don't know, it was like 15 goals, 24 assists, me insane, like 24 assists or something like that, you know. And he, and, he, and he gradually improved up to that age. And then he went to Celtic and, you know, he wasn't a disaster, but he was he was literally a squad player. He was, he was, a, he was a filler in and he was someone that you could come in and do a decent job if, if needs be, but he was never going to be a locked-in starter. And, that, and that's the problem. That is a, a good example of, you know, trying to judge, can you make that sort of step up? Yeah. Well, I was going to uh, go to a next question, but that sort of leads on to a slightly cruel question, and I'm not sure I really buy it myself, but is there a chance that David Turnbull could be that now that we have four other competent midfielders and we didn't have that when he came to the club? Could be that. I'm not sure I understand the question. So David Turnbull, clearly a standout player for his previous oh, right, obviously right, got yeah. that injured, injury and came into Celtic and he was a saviour at Celtic in a season yeah. that Celtic were not doing very well, but now they are and now they have better midfielders and David Turnbull is sort suddenly out of the team and suddenly not a fan favourite anymore. So like, is there a, is there a potential that he could just be a squad player? I I th- I think the answer is yes. Uh, I don't think he should want that. I mean, if I were David Turnbull, that's not how I want my career to go because um, he's not going to play that much, and particularly given his age. Um, and I think he could be serviceable in a different style of play at at a you know a decent level. I mean that I, I I think we're the way we play just does not suit his athletic profile all that well, and you know it doesn't highlight his strengths versus weaknesses. Uh, as, as well as, you know, kind of a better uh, system um, could in that regard. Um, I don't I don't think it's fair to compare him to Johnny, Johnny Hayes. I mean, I think he's an, an, a tier mm. higher than that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's it goes back to uh, the, the piece I wrote last week about, you know, really um, the heroic performance that he put in Rogic as well, but particularly Turnbull in um, – in the, the, you know, the autumn and early winter of, of uh, uh, last season. Um, just, I mean, I looked at the numbers. I mean, they just, it was incredible that they, they just got flogged to death <laughs> playing, playing twice a week for, you know, nonstop that whole stretch. And, and he, he even, he didn't play a lot of minutes, but he was, still, he was going on international break too. So it wasn't like he was getting um, uh, downtime. So yeah, it, it, you know, I, I'll, I'll always have a, kind of a, a, a warm place in my heart, shall we say, for Turnbull because of that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think he's there. There's a saying again. Use a baseball analogy. Um, there's what they call you know, there's the minor leagues in baseball go A, double A, triple A, and then you get to the big leagues, right? It's kind of like the the pyramid of baseball, and uh, they have a saying for players that are too good for triple a but they're not quite a big league player like they kind of bounce in between those and a lot of those some of those guys will battle for years and years and years going up and down up and down they call them quad a players and i I, to me that's what turnbull is he's he's a really good professional player he's just not quite at that big league level um Mm. and and he could have a great career but um i just don't think at at the level that we need yeah, uh, to be clear, I think Turnbull would go into any other uh, team in Scotland and be by far and away their best player. So that 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 fills in easily, with what you're yeah. saying. He, yeah, easily one of the best players in Scotland if you take Celtic and Rangers out of it, but potentially not the best player of the 22 men that are in the squad and uh, that he's currently playing in. Which I mean, that that's what happens sometimes when you know you want to improve and 
you need players to step up. Uh, Alan, we'll throw this one to you because we're talking about squad players. Pablo5 asks on Twitter, if injured, which player would we miss most and least for the rest of the season? I'm going to make this harder for you because there's a very, very obvious answer and that's Cameron Carter-Vickers, so you can't pick him. <laughs> right. Okay. Just before I answer that, just... Just one point on Turnbull, and, and I'm gonna, you know, I love I love the opportunities I get to set James some homework. So here's a little bit of homework. It would be fascinating to compare David Turnbull 23 with Aaron Moy 23. That would be, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be good. Yeah, I'm not sure I can let's, get. Let's, that. let's come back. Let's come. I'll, let's come. I'll, I'll look. Yeah. I'll see if I can yeah. find something on uh, Moy going back that far. Yeah, I wonder what people were saying about Aaron Moy when he was 23. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, no, listen, um, to answer your question, Ender, yeah, I mean, Cameron Carter-Vickers is the obvious answer. You know, he's by far Celtic's most um, composed, organised, you know, um, consistent defender. Uh, he's absolutely mission critical to the team. Um, if, it, if I can't have him, then it would be Kyogo because we're just a little bit exposed, I think, in the striking areas. Obviously, as, a, as an out-and-out striker, we've got uh, O, who's you know just come into the country and all that that entails for a young, a young man. Um, and also, you know, he's, he's, by the look of him, quite raw as a footballer in terms of, you know, raw as code for, you know, decision-making, you know, that sort of thing is, is not quite on point. No criticism, he's, he's, a, young, he's a young player, like, like, like a lot of the young players that Celtic have brought in. You know, he looks to have a lot of great raw materials in terms of his strength, his power, his, his, um, his, his confidence. I mean, his confidence is just fantastic. It's very, such a young, a young guy. Um, and, you know, he looks like he's willing to to um, score goals off. A bit like Giacomacchus, he doesn't care what foot, which part of the body it hits as long as it goes in the back of the net. He'll, 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 he'll try and get on the end of it. So, But is he, is he ready to lead the line? For Celtic to get them over the line to a treble, for example, that that sounds like a lot of pressure for a young lad to take on. So I'd be very concerned if Kyogo was injured. I think we would probably put Maeda up there uh, if that happened, which wouldn't be a disaster, but it's, it's probably not quite as optimal as Kyogo. Obviously, um, I I would still like to see Abada given more minutes in that role. Um, but yeah, that would be the one for me that would cause me most <laughs> most headache if if you were not available. Quick fire one for you, James. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Uh, I'll throw out another name that's uh, probably not as obvious. Um, and it, it's a more involved explanation, so I'll, but I'll keep it brief. Um, I, I would be worried if Taylor goes out, um, more so because if it's Burnaby, I think the risks there, because again, we're talking about something. Think things have to go really wrong for the, the league to be in jeopardy and something to go really wrong would be, you know, kind of a brash red card or like some really bad mistakes. And I think he's shown a little bit of volatility in his, in the way he plays uh, where I could see him kind of losing his head or, you know, having a rash tackle, getting out of position, that kind of thing. Like he's had some, um, he's been kind of a high risk, high reward type of player. And that's been the nice part about Greg Taylor where again, I, I don't think he's good enough for Europe longer term, but he is rock solid. Like you know what you're getting with with uh, with Taylor, and and generally speaking, domestically, um, you know that means not not a lot of downside. Um, so that would probably be my other uh, more more 
nuanced uh, concern. But yeah, I think Kyogo is the other, the other obvious one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alan, I'm going to combine two questions here for you because there's there's sort of overarching and they overlap and it's going to be impossible to get to the rest of the questions if we don't combine a couple of them. So one comes in from Paul F who says, uh, given the challenge with the number of homegrown players in the European squad and lack of talent in the league, we may only be able to sign foreign players to replace those who go. Uh, would you be open to who would you be open to sell in order to upgrade the team? And which positions would you focus on? And we'll tie that in with a couple of people who are asking about the loanees. Are there any loanees uh, that are currently out on loan that we could bring back that you think would be able to step up into the main squad next season? Yeah, just going going through the loanee list then to begin with. I think there's some that we can not spend a lot of time on. So. If I go through the list of those on loan, I would posit that probably Barkas, Scales, you know, Sorrow, Ayeti, Shaw, have, have a doubt have got any future really at Celtic. The ones who I think there's more of a question mark on are Montgomery. He's a young player. He's actually following a path that Celtic have used a little bit recently, whereby a young player goes on loan to a Scottish Premier Club. Uh, so Anthony Ralston went to St. Johnson as well. Chris Chris Iyer went to Kilmarnock, um, and and those were successful loans. Uh, the players you know developed in in, in the sort of um, uh, you know more pressurised relegation zone, I suppose, of the Premier League. Uh, and Montgomery has actually played 19 games for St. Johnson in the league. He started 16, I think. So. Uh, 13 maybe, uh, it's 13 games out of 19, so he's had a good crack at it so I don't know, I can't comment on what his form has been like, but there may be a possibility that he you know, he 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 gets given more time to develop I think Mikey Johnson's an interesting one, um, because obviously he was actually given an extended contract out to 2026, and then sent on loan to a Portuguese Premier League side, which I think is a really exciting opportunity for him, and it started really well he was a, a regular starter for Vitoria Guimarães, I think it is, in Portugal. But since um, January, so sort of effectively 2023, he's, he's become a sub and he's not been figuring that much. And although he got his call up to the uh, Republic of Ireland team, he's now an international player, which is great for him. Um, he's not figuring as much for um, his club side as he was. So has he really enough to show Celtic that he's ready to? And then the other one, um, who uh, who I, I was told uh, that the manager wanted to give a chance to, was actually Urogidi, the, the sort of right-sided centre-back. Uh, good good physical player, good speed, good strength, technically. Mm. He's actually um, he's actually having a good... Well, he seems to be having a good season at Ostend in Belgium. Now, the club are struggling. They're near the bottom of the league. They seem to be losing all the games. But he's a regular, and he's been playing in most games. So that suggests that he's doing something right. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him because he's still relatively young at 22. Um, so that, that's my take on the kind of low knees. Um, I mean, if you look at the pic- the big picture, right, um, there are only 20 players at Celtic this season that have played over 900 minutes. So effectively 10 games worth of minutes. And of those, seven, of those 20, three are no longer at the club. Right? So, so at the moment... Celtic have got a pretty small core of players that still, this is the situation we are in last season, a bit more extreme, but we've still got a core of 17 players that Ange relies on, plus uh, Kobayashi, Iwata and O, 
who've only just joined, so they're not made enough minutes yet, but they're in the squad every week. So again, we're really 20 players is the core, and yet we've got 34 senior professionals, right? So something's got to give. <laughs> so to your second question, in terms of, you know, I don't, I don't know the precise rules off the top of my head around, you know, you get, you get some sort of free passes, don't you, in terms of if you've got some homegrown players uh, in your squad. The problem I think we've got, or the problem that I think there is at Celtic, is that there are some players... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's Stephen Welsh, James Forrest, Turnbull, Bain, um, you know, Mikey Johnson. Well, not Mikey Johnson anymore. He's obviously declared for Ireland, but, but it would be still would still qualify as a homegrown player um, mm. who are really not... And even James McCarthy, I think, another one. Who, who, who yeah, it, for, for, for British clubs, it's Britain and Ireland, it includes. Yeah. So we've got, a, we've got a group there of players who are senior professionals on first-team contracts who are of an age that I'm sure they'd all want to be playing regularly, that I don't see them being in Ange's core, Right. And they're all homegrown. So I think there's some tough decisions to be made there. Um, I suspect Forrest may well be a lifer. Maybe Forrest is happy to have his role as essentially fifth-choice winger. I'm not being disrespectful. I'm just telling you the facts. That's that, Those are the facts. If all the wingers mm. are fit, James Forrest is not in the 20-man squad, 21-man squad for a game, right? That, I can't change that much as people might not like that, okay? You know, so, so there's, there's some tough decisions. Welsh has pretty much been usurped by Kobayashi. I think Turnbull, again, if we stacked up our four num- our number eights, I think Turnbull would be at the bottom of that list in terms of you know selection. So is that what he wants? I think James is right. If I was Turnbull, it's probably not where I'd want to be. Um, Mikey Johnson, I-, I-, I personally, because his developmental needs are nearly all decision-making, and I don't see the evidence that it's improving. I don't see a future from a, an elite club like Celtic. It's just my honest opinion. So I think there's some homegrown players there that are 
you know, dear to our hearts for sure, that I think are going to have to be some tough decisions made uh, in, in the summer. Mm. It's just, just my take. Give some strong negotiation power to Cal McGregor as well, James, who is, you know, one of the best players and also homegrown. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, somewhere down, I'm not uh, current on the rules. I, I do know it's a substantial number, meaning that it's not, you know, like one or two or three. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, we're, we're, I think the four shout, and, and I think that's also probably something like along the lines of Bain being a number three keeper, right? So, you, you know, having some of these um, fillers, even a McCarthy, because again, he's probably just not going to be a marketable contract um, and player. So you can have some players that are going to be filler for the, meeting that homegrown um, requirement. Um, but that, I think I know that was part of the discussion surrounding uh, Welsh last summer that, you know, part of the reason that they may have retained him for another season rather than sell him for which, you know, for him, I think at the time was like 2 million or something. So it wasn't like nominal money. Um, you know, so we're, we're, we're not flush in that regard. So it's, it's, if there's going to be outbound like Welsh, like Turnbull, I'm not sure what the answer would be. Um, because I'm not sure if we have much, maybe I think the one center back on the, the B teams, um, and, and there's been a couple other guys have had a, as we'll say, a cup of tea. And, you know, Summers, I think, was in the squad. So it's I guess you could. Yeah. yeah. Lovell, Lovell's, Lovell's the, the, the one they've got hopes for. I think it's center back. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So it may, maybe they would, you know, again, be depth on the, the European roster. But again, that is that those, those are players that probably aren't ready to contribute much, if at all. So are you comfortable with that kind of depth in Europe? Mm-hmm. That's becomes an interesting question. I, it, it'll be um, an element that'll be, uh, I think, interesting to see how it's approached in the summer. Yeah. Uh, so just to clarify on the homegrown, homegrown player rule, um, UEFA rules are that on 25 players on the list that for European competition, eight players yeah, was, were trained it's... by clubs from the same national league with four of them being from the club's own youth system. So it's a 17-player cap on foreign internationals, and then you have to have eight players within your squad that have been homegrown, and they define homegrown as either from the nation that they're playing in, which for British clubs includes Ireland, and then for uh, players who have played for at least three years between the ages of 15 and 21. So they was, would have had to come through some sort of youth system or been on loan at a club for three years in the league system that they're currently playing in so, to be classified as homegrown. So if we keep, if we keep Forrest, then we can get to eight. And that's without adding any kids. Because mm-hmm. uh, we, we, assuming the goalkeeper situation doesn't change, because we've got Hart, Bain, Segrist, because I think he's been, he's not homegrown though, is he? He's been, he's been, no. Okay, maybe Hart, Bain, you've got um, Ralston, Taylor, you've then got, you know, McGregor, Forrest, O'Reilly. Um, so, yeah, I think that's seven, isn't it? Um, so, Hart. yeah. Oh, Moy, Moy, Moy was a young player at St. Mirren, wasn't he? I don't know. He, he, he spent most of his young football years in, 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 in the UK, I think. Mm. Don't know. No, but no, yeah, it's, it's, but... yeah. Yeah, it, it's going to be tough, and it's probably something that is. I mean, if we're thinking about it, the club are probably thinking about it as well. Let's be honest. Um, just to get to another couple of questions, sticking to Europe, I guess, is a theme that a lot of people are asking about. And James, I guess the question that everyone's been asking 
all summer or all all season even have been what position do Celtic need to strengthen in the most to make progress in Europe and in European football and I'll double that up with a question that came in on YouTube from AJSC Tech who asks what can Ange learn from Scotland's win over Spain last night from winning uh, comfortably with uh, 25% of the possession during the game that's a topic we've talked about a lot and I think we probably will all the way up until um, we, we get to the, hopefully we obviously we get to the group stage uh, next season. You know, it, it as, as we've discussed the last couple of weeks specifically uh, and I, I've said that I, I think uh, this whole question of pragmatism gets overplayed. Um, it's a little overwrought and, and I think Ange was flexible in how he approached things. We didn't, um, we didn't press balls to the wall like we did against Leverkusen and and uh, and Real Betis uh, in the prior season. And, and to me, that seemed to be intentional and well thought out, and um, to a degree smart. But even within that context, we still gave up a lot of chances and a lot of goals. Um, so I I, I I suspect we'll see more of that, meaning tweaking around the edges. Uh, rather than some wholesale shift in how we're going to play, I just can't envision. I mean that 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 style of play and being an, uh, a quote unquote underdog like Scotland was yesterday. That is vintage Clark. Like that's what he's his style of play and the type of manager he is. He's he's tailor made for that. Um, so uh, I, I think you know he he's well suited for that job and also relative to the personnel that you know, um, Scotland have available to him. So, you know, they went a lot of kind of low, uh, low shot, low volume of chances type of games that when, when they've gotten their good results, you know, and again, that kind of echoes from his time at Kilmarnock, not, not surprisingly. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're, we're not going to go in anywhere near that direction, I, nor do I think we necessarily should. I, I, um, I think it's very difficult to think that a team can completely flip the script, play a certain way all season, and then for six or, you know, eight games, let's say, if it made it to a knockout stage, just completely change um, mm-hmm. the, the, the principles and style of play. And I'll, I'll go back to the same thing I've been saying for a year and a half now. I, I think we need to upgrade our athleticism in midfield. Um, mm-hmm. If we're, if we're going to continue to play, and I, I'm um, – uh, and I still, I, I wonder what the plan's going to be. Um, meaning that if it's going to be a Wada and McGregor as a sitting two, um, who's who would be in that ten role? And because I, I don't think in that kind of system we we have a, the athlete on the team right now that could uh, play at that position at uh, at that level. But I, I suspect the club probably don't see it that way. I don't know. That's my guess, but. Yeah, it's a, a fair bit different and it's definitely not like for like, so I don't want to make it sound like it is. But I think Ireland against France is probably a better example of what we're looking at in Europe versus instead of Scotland against Spain, because, you know, we know what Steve Clark is like. That's what he was. It was, you know, defensively strong in the beginning, whereas what Ireland are trying to do is become more of a possession based team and more of a front foot based team rather than. Uh, long ball and backs to the wall and being good defensively and what they did against France was sort of Christmas tree e like you know they did play a a five at the back wing with wing back, wing backs but 
the three in midfield was sort of like, you know, a wing back was coming in to help in midfield with the center midfielder and Josh Cullen. And the two separate midfielders were both going between the midfield and being overlapping uh, forwards alongside Evan Ferguson. So there was a lot going on within the formation and uh, Ireland limited France to an XG of 0.54, which is the lowest that they've had in a competitive game in the last number of years. Now, they still lost, but it was much closer than it probably could have been. And I guess that was pragmatism without sacrificing everything that you're looking to do progressively on the pitch. And maybe, Alan, that's what some Celtic fans are looking for is that little bit of give from Ange, whereas he doesn't want to give up his principles and that's fair enough and you respect that and you also need to test your game plan against the best to improve against other teams. But a little bit more pragmatism wouldn't go amiss. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree, I think, with the premise. I just, as, as James says, I just think the discussion gets framed not quite accurately in my mind because people think it's a choice between one end of the spectrum where you're just like got this all out, you know, 10-man attack versus parking the bus. And it, yeah. and it isn't that, right? Right. It's, it, there is a spectrum, clearly, right? Um so what Ange's not going to change some core principles, right? He will believe that the best way to beat Real Madrid is to score more goals and to put them under pressure, make them make mistakes and score goals against them. And that's oversimplifying. But he will he will not change that. But I mean, you know, I agree with James. He he did make tweaks uh, this season. Uh, when Celtic didn't have the ball, we fell back into quite a compact 4-4-2, which a lot of teams do. It's, it's, a, it's a very common thing to do. It was almost quite a safe thing to do. It was something the players could could um, switch to, uh, even though we don't do, we don't do that at home. Uh, it was something the players could switch to uh, relatively easily. So that, that was, if you like, some shifting in his paradigm in some people's minds. I certainly think he's a very good football manager and, he, and he's always making adjustments, albeit they might be small ones. Uh, so... But also, having said all that, then what is what is you know, demonstrably true is that two 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 weak two glaring weaknesses in Celtic's Europe Champions League campaign. One is that although it was admirable the extent to which we generated XG and chances against good teams, our, our, our inability to stop them creating chances was just it just wasn't good enough. And and as as I've said before. Once you allow a Madrid to get to two, two point five towards three XG in a game, you're you're just as likely to lose six, seven, eight as you are to lose two one. Okay, so that that's a that, that that we have to find a way to limit better the other team creating chances. Now I think the answer to that probably lies in what, what again we mentioned this sort of term before, but we talk about rest defence. We don't mean everyone's sitting with the slippers on. We mean when the guys who are attacking are doing their stuff, what's everybody else doing? And I think it's something it's to do with the full backs, to do with the number sixes in terms of can we at least defend the centre? If we're committing a lot of bodies forward, can we at least defend the centre? And, and there will be some pragmatism there in terms of giving up the wings. Now, we've seen when you're playing against someone like Mudrik or Valverde or, you know, um, <laughs> Vinicius, <laughs> You know, you give somebody a 40 yards of space run into on the extreme left wing, you're still going to concede a goal quite quickly. So this is the, this is the challenge, I think. Um, and then the other, you know, the other thing is that although James is right that we didn't press as aggressively 
we still pressed in a manner that was more redolent of when we've got 60% of the ball as opposed to when the opposition have got 60% of the ball. And as we saw at home to Madrid was probably the best example of that, where mm. we, to all intents and purposes, we matched them without making them overly uncomfortable and we created a reasonable number of chances. But all they had to do was wait for us to run out of steam because they had 70% of the possession and we were pressing as if we were playing Aberdeen at home where they've got 25% of the ball and it just simply doesn't scale. Um, mm. you know, so, so we have to find a way to tweak a couple of things. One is just to be solid in transition when we lose the ball while still committing players to attack. And, 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 and second is to be more selective about our pressing into a trigger, what the triggers are and the scenarios under which we'll press. Now, both of those improvements are very difficult because they're all about collective decision-making. It's not just individual decision-making, it's collective decision-making. So you have to have a very well-drilled team to do those things well. And even if we do those things well, we're still exposed to being ripped apart on the counter. Well, I also will maintain that Celtic were incredibly unlucky with the draw this season. And it, and it, I know you're coming up against pace regardless of who you're playing against with Champions League opposition, but it was a little bit of an, an anomaly that Celtic came up against Vinicius Jr., Mudrik, and Nkunku and Timo Werner, like four of the fastest players, fastest forward players in Europe right now across the, the top five leagues. Like That's, the only player you're adding yeah. in there that adds even more pace is probably Mbappe to that. And you've got like four out of the five top fastest wingers in, in world football right now. So yeah. um, look, I, it was a tough, it was a tough year. It was a tough year. We'll put it down to that. And we'll, it we'll wasn't the hardest, it wasn't the hardest group, you know, would you rather have played Napoli? It's like no, <laughs> no. <laughs> you know. that, yeah, I would have rather played Juventus. Well, there are plenty of teams where I think Celtic would have got a result against. We're it was, just, listen, I'm not, yeah, it was a good. I mean, listen, Pearl, you know, Pearl Schachter obviously had to play in Poland and all the issues mm. that they've got in their lives. Um, Leipzig were a mess. Well, we, Le- Leipzig we looked like a great draw until, until <laughs> they sacked their manager. The and, you, before. And, and, and we probably all secretly hoped that Madrid were just another year older and maybe a, not quite as good as they, they were, but that isn't the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, just to finish up then, we didn't get to all the questions. I think we got to most of them, though, that have come in on Twitter at least. Um, we're nearly at the hour mark here, so we, we will wrap it up now shortly. Uh, I think this was more for you, James, because you're the American, the Yank that's uh, part of this podcast. So uh, <laughs> FPL, allegedly, 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 uh, FPL matrix asks on Twitter, interested to hear your thoughts on the useful raw measurements um, to understanding player development. So 40 yard dash, broad jump, et cetera. Should mm. football take a leaf out of the NFL's book and look more, uh, look at placing more value in measuring and contextualizing info as, as uh as game gets more, as the game gets more athletic, so this yeah, is the I, combine that happens every year. Yeah, uh, if people don't know what it is, if you want to explain it, yeah, for the NFL, they, they treat the players like cattle, and uh, I think it's great. It's it's a fucking great watch. It's crazy, um, but yeah, they do all kinds of physical tests, and uh, they actually put them through all kinds of cognitive tests, too, personality tests. You know, do do a lot of stuff, so. Um, yeah, it's, it's held in Indianapolis every, I think it's February for three days, maybe. Um, but yeah, so I think that the, uh, you know, some of those raw data, this 
the athletic, you know, like the uh, broad jump, how, how high people can jump in the air, vertical, um, flat out 40 times, that kind of stuff. Th- those are useful, I think. Um, but there's also issues of the, how do they translate into actual play? So you have people that, you know, play fast or pay, play slow relative to the raw data. Um, cause you know, sprinting is not the same as playing where you're having to make real time decisions and all. Uh, so I, I think that's a, it's a good tool to have as far as a, a broader process. I think the challenge people have is, you know, with, with global football or even just European football is that there's no real central, you know, database of this kind of stuff, uh, to get access on everybody. Um, so that's why you can, you know, if like one of the simple ways that I've done it and, um, you know, I, when I was looking at, uh, the Japanese league, uh, when we first, when there was, I think it was rumors that we were signing Kyogo and I did my benchmarking thing that I'll do. And one of the things I do in the, the Y scout data is they have something called progressive run, which is, you know, just picking up the ball and carrying it X amount of yards on the pitch to advance the ball. And then they also have a, a metric called acceleration, which is more of an explosive run. Um, and, and I, I calculate a ratio of those two meaning that, you know, any schlep playing, you know, Carl Starfeld, Starfeld has a ton of progressive runs playing at Celtic because he's running out in the middle of nowhere and there's no one near him and he just traverses up the pitch. I would not consider him to be, you know, a top-notch ball carrier with elite speed, that kind of thing. So this was one statistical measure, I, just a simple ratio. And it, not surprisingly, I do a glo- kind of a global ranking of this kind of stuff. The guy in the Japanese league that stood out crazy is the guy who's at Brighton now. And I tweeted about it at the time. Matoma. It, Matoma, yeah. And I, and I think they got him for $3 million, which is, I, was crazy. Um, and I highlighted at the time, like, you know, this guy ranks across the board. Like, he was by far the standout data person in the J League. Uh, not su- surprising that Brighton was all over him. Um, but he, that specific measure across all like i don't know ten thousand players in y scouts database he was in the top 20 globally and another guy who's in that is jeremy frimpong so again that's the level when you know when you see that kind of just raw speed and it translates into the game it's not just i have a good 40 time it's that it's actually going to result in a skill uh that contributes to a team's play uh so yeah it's helpful but i've i've seen that you know, a lot across the many years of across different sports. Um, I think it was Ronaldo Nehemiah tried to play in the NFL. Uh, he was a, a, a Olympic hurdleist. Uh, there's been other um, world-class sprinters that have tried to play wide receiver in the NFL. Uh, clearly fast enough to do it. I mean, you got to catch the ball. It's different. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's there's a lot to it that's not these raw components. You know, it's not track and field, obviously. Mm. Um so I think it would be helpful, but again, there's ways to back into some of this, I think. Um, yeah. So, well, I mean, the raw measurements are useful for NFL where it's such a physical game and a lot of it is simply, are you fast? Can you run fast? Are you strong? Are you going to be able to hold up, hold up this guy? Whereas if you're just looking at raw physical data, nobody would sign look at Modric. You know what I mean? Like you, you'd, you'd miss so many top-notch talent whose brain function is fast but physically they're not um 
And I, I think the sprint data is what most people want. Most people want to know who's the fastest guy in the team, who, like, how would they match up to an Olympic sprinter, for example? And there's an, an amazing piece. I can't think of where I saw it or what uh, publication it was. Did a really in-depth breakdown on the difference if, of a footballer speed and a sprinter speed. So loads of people like to point out that, you know, Mbappe or, you know, Neymar or Ronaldo when he was fast that, oh, he clocked this certain amount of time in a 100-meter sprint. This is faster than Usain Bolt, where in, in reality, they don't come anywhere near close to as quick as Olympic sprinters because of the way that they train and the way that they train is much different to what an Olympic sprinter does. There's really, really good piece. And if I can find it, I'll, I'll post the link on the, the huddle breakdown Twitter as well. Um, just to finish up then, uh, one question, and it's not coming from anybody on Twitter, it's coming from me instead. Uh, Alan, I'll put it to you first. Are Celtic going to win the treble this year? <laughs> so we, we, had a, we had a guest spot on the Celtic, Celtic exchange with Tino this week where that same question was asked. So look out for that. I think Tino's going to be putting that out. Um, to the general for general consumption next week. Um, so uh, I haven't changed my mind since yesterday or the day before, whatever day it was that we did the pod, which is that obviously the league cups in the bag. The league, you know, is as James said, it would have to be something incredible. And Celtic are just playing with such consistency at the moment. I, I hand on heart don't see us relinquishing the league title. So it really comes down to to ninety minutes at Hamden, <laughs> and you know. <sighs> Or Falkirk, or well, obviously the the mighty Falkirk. I mean, you know, will be lying in wait in the final, and and that could be that could be horrendous, obviously. But um, yeah, that you know, ninety minutes at hand at Hamden um, on a really poor surface, which won't suit our style of play against a team whose sole season lies on that ninety minutes. And now that might be a lot of pressure for them that they don't cope well with, maybe, or it could it could serve to spur them on to to playing, you know, the, the quality of football that got them to a European final. Uh, we'll have to see. And then we've got to add in the refereeing factor, as we all know as well. So that's 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 really the 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 kind of the tricky the tricky one is that semi final for many many reasons. And you know the there's gonna be many variables and outside variables that come into play on that game over and above. You know, as much as Celtic are coherent and calm and unconsistent and, and in their play, I think there's going to be a lot thrown at Celtic that day out, out with their own control that will put you know some jeopardy into that into that game. And what is already you know a cup a cup tie and a derby, and therefore it's going to be tight. It's going to be not many goals in it, sort of thing. So um, you know, should if it was just based on pure football, I think we'd win the game. I think there'll be other things. They come into it, so I think we both agreed on like a sort of sixty percent of confidence that we might get the treble. Which I'm not prepared to go any any more than that at this stage. <laughs> James, give us a percentage from yours. Yeah, I'll I, I'll also go with sixty percent. So think we're we we've earned the right and deserve to be the favorite, but not much more than a coin flip. And the other thing I'll say is that uh, you know the, the the quadruple treble era, I think. Uh, and the recency bias associated with that clouds the rational judgment as far as how hard it is to win a treble <laughs> and why they're not that frequent historically. Um, so I, I think that's also in the mix and many of the points that Alan laid out are, are um, particularly with a, you know, a Rangers side that are not, you know, um, uh, 
demonstrably uh, lower financial resources like they were in in uh, fifteen sixteen for the first uh, two or three years that they were in a premiership. So I I I, I cautiously optimistic, but yeah, it, it's I, I wouldn't say uh, brazenly confident because of the reasons Alan said. And you know, the other part about this is we we chronicled on um, after the League Cup final is. You know, Beal got a lot really horribly wrong that day, and maybe he'll make some horrible decisions again. I wouldn't bet on that to the same degree, um, meaning that, you know, he might get a couple of things better than he did. <laughs> It'd be hard to be worse, I would argue, than what he was in the League Cup final. So that could also be another contributing factor that would make it a, a more difficult um, challenge for for Celtic to overcome. Mm. I think Celtic will win the travel. I'm confident enough that they are in the right frame of mind to do so. And I think they have more bloodthirsty players, to put it in, in one way. Bloodthirsty? Well, wow. my goodness. <laughs> that way. Um, listen, well, I don't want to call the other side bottlers, but Celtic have fewer... <laughs> Is this the week to be saying that? <laughs> they, they have fewer fewer bottlers in their side than uh, the other side uh, do at the minute. Uh, one question I do want to finish on before uh, we finish up, I'll, I'll answer it because I, I can have a strong enough opinion on it, and that is one from Nicholas, Nicholas McDade, who asks, what is a success in Europe for Celtic? Europa League final, last 16 Champions League. Um, I'm happy to compete continuously. I'm going to say a Europa League quarter or semi-final is a success for Celtic at this point in time. If you look at the quality that are playing in the two tiers of um, of European football right now, don't look at Rangers as the reason why Celtic should get to a Europa League final because that was quite a fluke that they managed to get their way and there's much more quality in it now over the next couple of years and one person Patrick McLaughlin is saying that he's looking at Benfica getting to a quarterfinal of a Champions League every couple of years and thinking why can't we do that the reason we can't do that is because we, we don't have a free tap into the South American market and sell a player for 100 million every couple of years that's why we can't do what Benfica are doing it's a completely different animal um, so that's my opinion I don't know if you just want to chime in on that before we finish up I'm a little bit more circumspect. You know, winning a knockout tie would be a successful season. Let's start. Well, I mean, let's start, let's start with, so let's start with a single step. Of course, step. that's a success. Yeah. <laughs> let's start yeah. with a single step. I'll, I'll agree with both of you. I, I would say, if, you know, if we got out of the group in in the Champions League, obviously, I think that would be a success. And then, yeah, winning a knockout and um, making a run in in the Europa League. I think we'd, it, that that's kind of my base case, man, that season to season, I think we should be finishing at least third in Champions League and having a, a shot at getting deep into the Europa League. That's not going to I mean, look, look, Just look well, at right, the... Well, right, right. <laughs> it's not going to be around much longer. Right? Look at the, the Europa League this season. I mean, the Arsenal top of the Premier League are knocked out. Feyenoord, Roma, Juventus, Sporting, Man United, Sevilla, Leverkusen, and uh, Union for from the Belgian league. So you like any of those teams could have been playing Champions League over the last number of years and still could. So I, th- I think it's unrealistic to think that Celtic are competitive in the Europa League to the point where they're competing for the title. Um, but yes, as Alan says, winning a knockout game, which we have not done in 14 years, 
We need to crawl before we walk into. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 that's what I'm putting as my, uh, as my success story for Celtic in the uh, European football this year under Ange or next year under Ange. That's where we'll park the show for this week. Thanks a million to everyone who got in touch before the show, sending in us in loads of really good questions that, made this podcast this week possible because let's face it we did not have anything planned to talk about this week and uh, you really made our job a lot easier this week as well so keep the comments and questions and anything coming on the youtube channel and if you're not subscribed do hit the subscribe button as well we will have a game to talk about next week we'll have the ross county game which is coming up in four days time three days time and we will have a derby match to look forward to as well so loads to come next week on the huddle breakdown but until then we'll chat to you later good luck
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.